The Old Testament reading is Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. And this is the infallible and inerrant word of God. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And this uh, wonderful promise has come to fruition with the coming of Christ and his uh, inaugurating the new covenant in his blood uh, by which we are saved and by which we receive the gift of the Spirit that the law of God might be written on our hearts. Uh, let's turn now to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. If you're visiting this morning, we are um, working our way through Paul's epistle to the Romans. And this morning we are at chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man, While her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. One of the greatest misconceptions of the Christian faith is that Uh, The substance or the essence of Christianity is living a moral life or uh, being a a good or a pious person or keeping all the right rules. Uh, According to this uh, false uh, view of Christianity, uh, what really motivates Christians, what is primary in their hearts is a, a sense of the need Uh, to do good works, uh, to avoid certain behaviors, to meet some uh, standard of the Christian life in order to gain uh, God's good favor. Um, We could put this in more theological terms. According to this uh, misconception, this false view of the Christian faith, a Christian is first and foremost a person who has devoted himself to keeping the law of God so that Christianity is essentially a religion of works or moralism. 
And so Christians are trying to do all the right things and to avoid doing all the wrong things in order to secure uh, their place in heaven. Now, no doubt, this uh, misconception of what the Christian faith is all about is due uh, partly to the fact that there are some who profess to be Christian. And in fact, there are entire churches and denominations that go under the name of Christian who have, in fact, uh, perverted uh, the gospel of God's free grace and turned Christianity into a religion of works and self-righteousness. And so that idea is out there. And of course, that is a, a terrible thing. But I believe that this popular misconception of what Christianity is all about is the result of the fact that the unbelieving world, those who do not know Christ, they can only observe the lives of Christians and they cannot see what is in the heart of Christians. Uh, the, the world can see Christians doing good works and uh, the world ought to see that. The world needs to see that. But what the world does not and cannot see is what is in the heart. That uh, the good works that believers do, uh, the, the desire to obey God's word that, the, that, that believers exhibit in their lives, that uh, this is the, 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 the product, the, the, the outflow of a heart that is filled with, with joy, with peace, with life, because the Christian has come to a saving knowledge of God by faith in Jesus Christ. And so what is hidden from the world is the transformed heart of a Christian. And so the good works he does, the life he lives, is not his attempt to earn salvation, though the world may see that. Rather, it is his thankful response to the salvation, to the grace he has freely received already uh, from God uh, through Jesus Christ. And so... Uh, the true substance, the true essence of Christianity is not living correctly or doing enough works or, or achieving a level of obedience in order to be saved from sin and death. But it is knowing already Jesus Christ is your savior from sin and death, that he is the one who gives you eternal life. He forgives your sins. But for this very reason, because you have come to know Christ you, therefore, devote yourself uh, to living for Christ, to following the example of Jesus, to, to, to pattern your life after his, uh, submitting to his word, uh, obeying the commandments of God, doing good works. And this is the dynamic uh, of the Christian faith and life that the Apostle Paul is concerned with here in chapter 7 of Romans. Uh, for, for us who are Christians... For us who have been justified by grace apart from the works of the law, for us who have been saved by faith alone, by trusting in Christ apart from the law of God, how then do we relate to God's law? What role does the law of God, what role does, does his commandments have in our lives as Christians? Uh, these are the kinds of questions that Paul is concerned to take up uh, in this chapter of Romans. And the first thing that he tells us in chapter 7, in the passage that we are considering this morning, verses 1 through 6, is that as Christians, you and I, we have died to the law. And then he spells out the implications of what that means, that we have died to the law. And so, like we did last week, we'll, we'll follow the flow of uh, Paul's logic as we look at his argument, and we'll summarize it with three statements. 
Uh, First of all, as a believer in Christ, you have died to the law. Secondly, you have died to the law so that you may belong to Christ. And thirdly, you belong to Christ so that you may bear fruit for God. So those those are the three statements that we will consider uh, in turn. So first of all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have died to the law. Uh, In the passage that we looked at last week, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23, uh, we learned that as Christians, we have been delivered from slavery to sin, and we have been made slaves to righteousness or slaves to God. And of course, what Paul calls a slavery to God is really, in fact, it is true freedom. Uh, This slavery to God is the greatest possible freedom. It is the freedom that we now have in Christ Uh, to serve God, to worship God without the hindrance of sin. Or at least it will be a perfect freedom without the hindrance of sin uh, in the life to come. But already we have been set free from the dominion of sin, not so that we may serve ourselves, but that we may serve Christ, serve God. And that is true freedom. Now in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul, he doesn't so much comment or or follow the thought of verses 15 through 23 in chapter 6, but he circles back to something that he said earlier in chapter 6 in verse 14. So if you look at chapter 6, verse 14, the apostle says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now when Paul writes what he does in chapter 7, verse 1, He has in mind what he says in chapter 6, verse 14, and particularly what he has in mind is this phrase, you are not under law. You are not under law. Uh, Keep that phrase in mind because we'll come back to it in a minute. But for now, listen to what Paul says in chapter 7, verse 1. He says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Uh, Paul says, I am speaking to those who know the law. Uh, Paul was writing to this congregation in Rome that was uh, composed of both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And he assumes, he knows that all of them, not only the Jews, but the Gentiles also, that they are familiar with the law of God as that is contained in what we call the Old Testament scriptures. But what exactly did Paul have in mind when he referred to the law that they knew. Specifically, what he was referring to is the law of God that is summarized in the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a summary of the righteousness of God that he requires, uh, that he required not only uh, for the people of Israel whom he gave the Ten Commandments through Moses, but the Ten Commandments are a summary of the, of the righteousness, the obedience that God requires of all people at all times and in all places. Uh, this is what we call uh, the moral law of God. And it is uh, expressed or summarized in the Ten Commandments. And this is the law that Paul says to the Roman Christians that they knew. They knew this law. And Paul appeals to their knowledge of the law. He says, uh, do you not know, brothers? And, and what was it that they knew or should have known because they knew the law of God? They were supposed to know this, that the law of God is binding on a person only as long as he lives in this world. Uh, when, once a person dies, at least as far as this world is concerned, once a person dies, he is no longer under uh, the authority 
the power of the law of God. Uh, If we can use an analogy uh, using the civil law or the law of a government, um, the law of a government, the law of a state only applies to us as long as we are living. Um, a, a police officer has never given a speeding ticket to a corpse. Um, a dead body has never been thrown into prison for committing a crime. And in a similar way, at least as far as this world is concerned, uh, a person is free from the demands of God's law when he dies. And Paul goes on in verses 2 and 3 to illustrate this truth. And he appeals to the seventh commandment, which is the law of God that governs marriage. And he says a woman is bound uh, to live with her husband, uh, to be married to him, in the phrase that we're familiar with, as long as they both shall live. And so if a woman uh, leaves her husband and lives with another man, she has broken uh, God's commandment. She has broken God's law. And she is therefore guilty of adultery. She is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law of marriage. The seventh commandment no longer applies to her in that way. And therefore, if she wishes, she is free to marry another man. And of course, she will not be considered an adulteress. Uh, By the way, in this passage, in these two verses, verses two and three, Paul is not giving us a comprehensive biblical uh, theology of marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Uh, If we want the full teaching of Scripture on those subjects, we have to turn to other passages of Scripture. But rather, what he is doing here, he is using the seventh commandment to make a general point, and his point is this, that death frees us from the law of God. As he puts it in verse 1, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So in this illustration that Paul uses from marriage, Uh, Because a death has occurred, because there has been a death, in this case, the death of the husband, for that reason, the law of God concerning this woman, concerning marriage, no longer applies to her. She is no longer bound by it. And then in verse 4, Paul applies that truth to us. And he says that death, death releases us from being bound to the law of God. He says in verse 4, Likewise, my brothers... You also have died to the law through the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ here refers to the death of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus was crucified, he was put to death in the body. And so Paul is saying that just as uh, the death of the husband freed this woman from the law of God concerning marriage, so you, because you are united to Christ by faith, because Jesus died, You have died with him, therefore you have died a death to the law. You have been set free from the law. You have been set free from the law because you are now dead to it. And so as a Christian, you have truly died a death. And we we considered this a few weeks ago. As a Christian, you have died a death. You are dead to the law. And this is what Paul meant if we go back to chapter 6, verse 14. This is what Paul meant when he told the believers in Rome and what, and what the scriptures tell us, that we are not under law. We are not under law, but under grace. It's the same thing that Paul means in verse 1 as he says, uh, the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. So what this means for you as a Christian, you are not under the law. You are not bound to the law. 
You have died to the law. Now, before you take that to heart uh, in the wrong way and go out and really start living it up, uh, we need to consider what does that mean exactly that you are dead to the law? Well, the place to begin is to say what it doesn't mean, what in fact it cannot mean. Uh, To be dead to the law cannot mean that as a Christian, you are free from the obligation to keep the Ten Commandments, to keep the law of God. You are not free to violate uh, God's commandments. You are not free from the duty to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. As I said last week, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not antinomian. That means the gospel is not against the law. The gospel by which you are saved does not free you from your obligation, both as a human being created in the image of God, but also as a Christian redeemed by the grace of God. You still have the obligation to keep the commandments of God. Uh, Paul was accused of preaching a message of antinomianism, that he was against God's law. His opponents either twisted his words, or perhaps they just misunderstood him, probably the former, but they accused Paul of preaching against the law. But earlier in Romans, uh, Paul sets the record straight. He says in chapter 3, verse 31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So to be dead to the law does not mean we are not bound to keep God's moral commandments. So what does it mean then that you are dead to the law? First of all, it means that you have died to the power of the law to condemn you. The law can no longer condemn you as a believer in Jesus Christ. The law not only commands us what we must do, in order to to obey God, but the law also tells us what we must suffer if we not only break the commandments of God, but also if we fail to keep the commandments of God perfectly in their entirety. And what must happen to us if we break God's law or fail to keep it perfectly is that we must bear the condemnation, the curse of God, and suffer eternal death for our sin. Galatians 3.10 says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide in all things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed be everyone who does not do the law of God. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer under the curse of the law. Now as Christians, we, we... confessed our sins to God earlier. We know that we do break God's commandments. And not only that, but when we seek to keep God's commandments, we do not keep them perfectly. But the good news is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are not condemned for that. You are free from the power of the law to condemn you for your sin. And why is that? It is because Jesus, our Savior, he took upon himself the curse, the condemnation that you and I deserved. Again, listen to Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. 
And so if your trust is in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are dead to the law in this sense, that the law cannot condemn you. You cannot be cursed by God because you have broken the law. The power of the law to condemn you is gone forever. You are dead to the law in that sense. And you have also died to the law in a second sense. And that is the law is no longer for you the means by which your sin and guilt increase. Look at verse 5. Paul speaks of our uh, sinful passions being aroused by the law. When we are in our sin, when we are confronted with the law of God, what do we do? Uh, Apart from grace, apart from Christ, when we are living in the flesh, when we don't know Christ, in our sin, and we hear the law of God, we're confronted with God's righteous requirements, what do we do? We do the very opposite of what God commands. We sin all the more when we are exposed to God's righteous law. We may not do so externally, but surely in our hearts we do. Our sin is stirred up to life in response to God's holy word. And that is the nature of our sin. We we rush to do the very opposite of what God commands us to do. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, through the law comes knowledge of sin. Why does knowledge of sin come through the law? Because, again, when we are exposed to the law of God, our sin springs into life. Paul says that later in chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. What then shall we say is that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. And so for us in our sin, apart from Christ, the law becomes the occasion then by which our sin only increases, our guilt increases. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, that the, that the power of sin is the law. The power of sin is the law. And so because of our sin, the law of God only serves to increase our sin and guilt. Now, uh, this, is no, this, is, this is no fault with the law. This is not a problem with the law. The law is good. The problem is with us. Uh, Paul will affirm that. He says in chapter 7, verse 12, the law, that is the law in itself, is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So the law is good, it is holy, it is righteous, but it is powerless. It is powerless to take away our sin. It is powerless to make us righteous. It is powerless to... Uh, sanctify us. It can only condemn us. And it can only cause our sin to increase. Uh, Just as an aside, this is not the main point, but just as an aside, when we think about our nation, uh, this principle of the law aggravating sin is why we cannot put our hope in better laws uh, to make a better people. Now, Uh, Don't get me wrong, I am all for good laws, laws that are good and just according to God's standards of goodness and justice. But even the best laws will not produce righteousness in a people. Uh, Let's try a little thought experiment. 
Imagine a nation, a nation that had laws given to it directly by God. A nation whose laws were given by God so that its laws were perfect, perfectly just, perfectly good, perfectly righteous. Uh, We would want to live there, wouldn't we? We would think that here would be a nation in which godliness, righteousness, justice flourished. But the truth is, such a nation did exist. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And what became of Israel? The nation became so idolatrous, so ungodly, so filled with injustice that the Lord sent them into exile. And so our hope for our nation is not in good laws or better laws, but our only hope is in changed hearts, hearts that are changed by the the grace of God. But in the same way as individuals, uh, the law cannot make us better apart from Christ. The law only becomes the occasion by which we sin all the more. But praise the Lord that you and I have died to the law in the way that it, it, it functions in that way. The law no longer serves to keep us in bondage to sin. And so in Jesus Christ, in every good way, you and I have died to the law. We are, dead to the, we are dead to the condemnation of the law. The law cannot curse us. We are also dead to the law as the power of sin. So that's the first point, that we have died to the law. And the second point will be very brief. But you have died to the law so that you may belong to Christ. Again, look at verse 4. He says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead. In the illustration that Paul uses in in verses 2 and 3, the woman uh, whose husband died, she was free to marry another man. And in a similar way, likewise, when we die to the law, we have been given to another to be our, our new husband. And of course, that is Jesus Christ. We, are, we were once married to the law in the, in the sense that we were under the law, but now, having died to the law, we are given to Christ. And he is a better husband. He is a far better husband. I was actually thinking um, of giving this sermon the title, A Better Husband, but then I thought that might be confusing. Uh, some people, uh, maybe some wives especially, might uh, have been waiting for the whole sermon for me to get to the part on how we are to be better husbands. Uh, But that's another sermon for another day. But notice how Paul describes Jesus, our new husband, our new master. He says, he describes him as him who has been raised from the dead. Now, why why does Paul add this description here of Jesus? Him who has been raised from the dead. I believe because Paul still has in mind the marriage analogy that he used in verses 2 and 3. And so what he is telling us is this. That you now belong to a, a, a perfect husband. To the Lord Jesus Christ. And because he has been raised from the dead. He lives forever. And therefore your union with him. Your marriage to him. His love for you abides forever and ever. It will never die. Because Christ can never die. As one commentator put it, in that, in that union that we have with Christ, in that 
marriage that exists between Christ and the bride whom he loves, his church, Christians. Uh, in that marriage, there is no till death do us part, that Christ will live forever as our Lord and our Savior. So you have died to the law so that you may belong to Christ. The third point in Paul's argument is this. You belong to Christ so that you may bear fruit for God. Again, look at verse 4. We'll read the whole verse this time. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order, in order that we may bear fruit for God. So it's not just that we have been united to Jesus for our salvation, but there is a purpose after that, and that is that we may bear fruit for God. Now, apart from Christ, apart from this new union that we have been brought into by grace with the Lord Jesus Christ, apart from that, in our flesh, in our sin, we cannot bear fruit for God. It is impossible for us as sinners to bear fruit that pleases God. In fact, by nature, when we are under the law, we can only bear fruit for death. That's what Paul says in verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Part of the deceptive power of sin is that it convinces us that the way of sin is the way of life. And, And sin holds out this promise to us that if you want to truly live, if you want to truly be alive, if you want to get the most out of this life, The way of sin is the way to do it. But sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to death. And that's why sin is so irrational. We are so irrational in our sin because we pursue the very thing that ultimately destroys us. But notice again in verse 5 the role of the law in all of this. Our sinful passions, he says, are aroused by the law. And then we produce the fruit of death or fruit for death. And so, in that way, the law leads to death. Apart from Christ, the law leads to death. And this is why that every endeavor on the part of man, whether it is a religion, whether it is a morality or a philosophy, every effort on the part of man to conform to some law in order to gain life or to obtain salvation, every effort in this way is doomed to fail. Why is that? Because the law cannot bring us life. In fact, the law only serves to increase our sin and to bring forth death for us. And for the same reason, every false version of Christianity, every false version of Christianity that is really at heart a religion of works, every version of Christianity that promises you that salvation is based at least in part, on keeping the law of God, keeping the commandments of God. Such a false religion goes under the name of Christian, but it is especially evil because it replaces the gospel with the law. And the law cannot save us. And in effect, what that Christianity does, that false Christianity does, is it turns Jesus from a life-giving Savior of sinners into a minister of death. Only the gospel, only the good news that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, he came into the world 
in order to die for your sins, to take your guilt away, to give you his perfect righteousness, only the gospel of Jesus Christ, not anything that you do, not any works that you perform, not any obedience that you render to God, none of this can give you life. Only Christ can give you life. He gives you that life freely by his grace as you receive him by faith. Only the gospel gives life. And at the same time, only the gospel can make you a true servant of God who bears fruit for his glory. Look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. As Christians, we no longer serve in the old way of the written code. That is, we no longer in our flesh, by our own power, by our own strength, seek to keep the commandments of God, to obey God. Because if we seek to do that, as we have seen, it only leads to death. But if you belong to Christ, you have received the spirit of Christ, the spirit of the living Christ who lives in you. The Spirit who is at work in you to produce in you new affections, holy affections, holy desires, to produce in you a true love for God that comes from the heart. And the obedience of that is obedience to the will of God. It is true service to God. This Spirit-filled life, being united to Jesus Christ by faith, this is what Paul refers to, the life that results from that is what Paul refers to in chapter 6, verse 4, of walking in the newness of life. And so this, this walking in the newness of life, being united to Christ in His resurrection, being, being filled with the Spirit of Christ, which is true of every true believer, this is the same thing as bearing fruit for God. This is the same thing as serving in the new way of the Spirit. But all of this is nothing other than living in true conformity to the law of God. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, then, you have died to the law as a means of salvation, but you have been made alive in Christ apart from the law so that by the work of the Spirit at work in you, you begin to truly keep the law of God. And so we serve... In the new way of the Spirit, by God's grace. Have you come to Jesus as your Savior? Are you trusting this morning in your um, good works, in your religion, in your morality? Uh, If you are, that is the way that leads to death. It is the way of the law, and it leads only to death. But Jesus comes to you as a Savior. Uh, Confess your sin. Confess your need for Him. Come to Him for forgiveness and life. And He will not only save you, He will redeem you from your sin, but He will make you one who truly, truly bears fruit for the glory of God. Let's pray.